Please remain standing as you're able. We've been talking about David this summer, and the story of David is found in First and Second Samuel. But toward the end of Second Samuel, out of a chronological order, are some different vignettes from the life of David. Here is one uh, from when David was leading the people in battle. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David. At that time, David was in the strongholds, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem, which is David's hometown. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Have you ever noticed in the Bible that when God wants something done, God raises up a leader to do it? When God wants to shape and form and create a people, God calls Abraham to do it. When those people end up in Egypt and they are enslaved, God calls upon Moses to lead them out of slavery. When they get out of slavery and get into the promised land but become enslaved again to captors, God calls upon Deborah to lead them to a time of freedom. And when the time comes for them to be in a more secure position, to have their borders solid and to have them more united as a nation, God calls upon a man to lead this. This leader's name is David. And David is truly a gift of God to the people of Israel, granting them security that they had not known before, enabling them to live the life in the presence of God that God wanted them to live. The times called for a leader, and God raised a leader up. And the times today call for leaders as well. I love the observation by Rosabeth Moss Cantor. She teaches uh, leadership at Harvard, and she made this observation a few years back. She said, there are too many problems and too few geniuses in the world to leave the problems in the world in the hands of a few. I think what she's trying to say is some people think only a few select folks can be leaders. But I don't believe that is what we need, nor is that the way God sees it. God calls on all of us because we may be leading families or school groups or classmates or other organizations. God calls on all of us to see if we might be the leaders that God needs for this day and for this age. Now, I'd remind you, just because you're a leader doesn't mean you are doing something good. Uh, in World War II, you might remember that some of the l- very powerful people emerged as uh, capable leaders. Uh, there was uh, President Roosevelt, and there was General Eisenhower, but there was also Joseph Stalin and Adolf Hitler. Just because one is a leader doesn't mean that you're necessarily doing something good. I like Lori Beth Jones' observations. She said, generally, there are two types of leaders in the world. There are leaders who are interested in caring for the flock, and then there are, interested, there are leaders who are only interested in seeing if they can get to the fleece. And when you look at Enron and you look at Tyco, then you begin to see that we have created in this nation a, a number of leaders who have been interested only in what they could gain for themselves. About a year and a half ago, Pastor Dinah and I went to uh, Liberia. And Liberia had suffered for more than 15 years of civil war. And when we got into the Congress building, the, the Capitol, it had been stripped. Anything valuable had been taken out. 
of the assembly room. Anything valuable been taken out of the president and the vice president's office. And so nothing of any worth was left for the uh, new administration. And one of the things that our, uh, our guide explained to us was that there's not really in that country, there hasn't been a concept of public service. The concept has been, when I'm in charge and my party is leading, we're going to grab for everything we can get. Because we may not be in power forever, so we're going to grab it and then let the next group grab what they can when it's their turn. This is not what God would call leadership. And this is not the kind of leadership that David exhibited in uh, his life. We see an example of that today in the story of David. David is involved in battle against the Philistines. And the problem is the Philistines are occupying David's hometown of Bethlehem. And David is just longingly musing and saying, you know, I'd really like some water from the well at home. Nothing would be as refreshing as that. And so three men risk their life and break through the Philistine lines to get water from that well and bring it back to David. It comes back to David, but David refuses to drink it. He will not take a perk or enjoy a privilege that the rest of the soldiers, those who follow him, cannot enjoy. And so David pours it out on the ground and says, God, far be it from me to be that kind of leader. Another episode at the end of 1 Samuel, we find David's army is off chasing the enemy. And another enemy comes into David's hometown and uh, takes the, the women and the children and valuables from the town while the soldiers are with David. So when they come back, they have to pursue this new enemy. About halfway through the pursuit, some of the soldiers get tired. It's been a very long chase. They've come from one enemy, uh, a battle with one enemy, going to another. And David says, well, just rest here. We'll go after them. David goes after this other enemy, uh, defeats them, brings the wives and the children and all sorts of uh, booty and loot back with him. And when they get back, the soldiers who had made the whole journey said, you know those guys that stopped to rest? They can have their wives back and their children, but they don't deserve any more than this. And David said, no, that's not how we're going to do it. We're an army. We are one, and everyone is going to share equally in, in what we do. Now this uh, brings me to what I want to talk with you about uh, this morning. If you'd like to follow along, there is an insert in your bulletin. I want to talk to you about David's leadership. And my thesis is this. The best leader is the one who serves the followers. The best leader is the one who serves the followers. That's what David is doing. Serving the soldiers who come after him. And the goal of the leader is always the well-being of the followers. The leader's highest goal is the well-being of the followers. That's what biblical leadership is really about. And that's the kind of leadership that David exhibited. So the question before us this morning is this. Well, where did David learn that? You've heard of people who were just born leaders. Was David just born this way? I want to suggest to you that David learned it out of his relationship with God. And I want to tell you that we can learn. We can learn about leadership from God. If we remember that God leads like a shepherd, we can learn about leadership from God who leads like a shepherd. And what I, I want to remind you is that David said, the Lord is my shepherd. And when Jesus came along, Jesus claimed to be the good shepherd. So here's what I want to do. I want to think about God's shepherding leadership as a, as a model for us who lead, whether it be at home or at work or in a volunteer association, wherever we lead, 
We want to lead like a shepherd. And so what we're going to do is look at David's leadership and God's leadership in the model of the 23rd Psalm. Some of you are probably familiar with the 23rd Psalm, or at least parts of it. The Lord is my shepherd. I know all of you probably know a little bit of it because I I had an experience. My very first funeral, years and years ago, they brought me to a funeral home um, to speak and do the funeral. And they had a pink light over the podium and over the casket. It, It was a beautiful light. But unfortunately, with my contact lenses, when I opened my Bible, the page was completely white. Couldn't see any print on it at all. So I started into the 23rd Psalm. And when the service was over, the family was very kind. They shook my hand and they said, that is the most interesting rendition of the 23rd Psalm we have ever heard. Well, I believe all of us have got some sort of rendition of the 23rd Psalm with us. So let's see if we can call a few parts that will help us understand God's leadership. Here's the first thing. Number one, I believe that a shepherding leader like David, like David's Lord, uh, gives guidance. They give guidance. That's part of the way that they lead. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. One of the things the shepherding leader is doing is guiding the flock. You see, the deal is the shepherd knows where the grass is and where the water is. The sheep doesn't. So when you are leading, one of the things you want to do is guide uh, those who follow you. And if you're a parent, I I can't tell you strongly enough that your children need to know what you believe. They really need to know what you believe and why. And you need to inflict it on, on them with great intentionality. Because you have been in your life and you know where the grass is. And you know where the water is. And you know who can meet your need. And they need to know that you know. You can give that kind of guidance. That's the first thing a shepherd does. A shepherding leader gives guidance to the flock. Second thing a shepherding leader does is a shepherding leader will instill confidence in in the flock. Uh, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. One of the things that God did for David was give David such confidence in God's presence that David could go anywhere and know he was not alone. And that it would be okay. And one of the things David could do was to instill in his followers such confidence that his troops would follow him anywhere into any battle, no matter the odds. It's that sort of confidence that people need in our world today. And you might say, well, I'm not that confident a person. It's not my nature. My response to you is, that's okay. You just have to be a little bit more confident than your followers. You just have to be slightly more confident. Than they are. There's a wonderful theory in family systems teaching, and that is that a leader just needs to be less anxious than a follower. Not completely non anxious, just less anxious. So I have three children, and when they call me in a time of uh, what looks like a crisis to them, and maybe it really is, my job is just to be less anxious than they are about it. If I can be slightly more confident that the situation is going to turn out than they are, I have led them well, and they'll be able to get off the phone and get functioning again. But if you're just as nervous about the problem as your 15-year-old daughter, then no one's going to make any ground. You've got to be confident, and you can be confident, because there's a good shepherd who is with you no matter, no matter what. So that's the second thing a leader does, is they instill confidence. Third thing I think a a good shepherding leader does is they give rewards and recognition. Uh, He makes a table in the presence of my enemies. Uh, The reward for a follower is the recognition. 
A follower wants to know that the leader knows who they are and cares about their situation. Even before whether the leader can do anything about the situation, a follower needs to know that the leader knows and the leader cares. And a good shepherd knows the sheep. Uh, When Ray Vanderland uh, spent six weeks with shepherds, he said the most interesting thing happened is that all, uh, all sorts of flocks would come together at night. And because they, uh, the shepherds tend to know where the places are where they can put the sheep at night. And all the flocks just mix together. And then in the morning, two things happen. Shepherd gets up and just says, like, yo, sheep. And the sheep that belong to that shepherd know the voice and they'll get up and go. But this is equally amazing. The shepherd will also know instinctively if any of the sheep are not there. If any of them have not come with them. That's an amazing thing to me. I used to think about the story that Jesus told about a guy with a hundred sheep and he loses one. Remember that? And he goes off in search of the one. And I always think that's pretty neat. But my first question is, well, how did he know one was missing? You know, did he do a head count every day? And the answer that Ray learned in, in Israel was no. Shepherds get to know their sheep so intimately over time, so well, spending so many hours watching over them so carefully that they instinctively know when one's missing. As I mentioned, I've got three kids, and I don't have to go home today and do a head count to tell you if any of them aren't there. Just don't. I know. I know them well enough to know when they're not there. A leader needs to know his or her followers. That's why it's so important in a church like this that you find a smaller group or a class or uh, become a part of the choir. or uh, Find a place where you can be known because it's not... Uh, easy for me or Donna or Mark or Harold uh, to know uh, 5,600 people, but it's important to be known. And that's something that you can do as a leader. That's something you can do as a parent. You know, I'm so embarrassed for my generation, and I'm part of the guilt, that we came up with a concept of quality time as if you could somehow cheat your children out of time if you could pack a, a little bit more into the moments that you had with them. There's no such thing as quality time with the sheep. The shepherd is there quite frequently with the sheep, and that's how they know they are known. Parents, that's what your kids need from you. They need to know that you know because you're there, and your coworkers need the same thing. Finally, I, I note that what a good shepherding leader does, what God did for David and what David did for his troops was this. They help the followers participate in something bigger than themselves. A good leader will help you feel that you are a part of something bigger you know yesterday in football stadiums all across the country with the probable exception of duke there were like 60 or 70 or 80,000 people in the stands um and why are they there because they love football yeah maybe they're there because they're they're a part of something bigger We're all wearing orange shirts. We're all wearing maroon shirts. We're all wearing blue shirts. We are a part of something bigger than we are. Something that started on this campus before we got here. It was here the four years we were here, or for some of you six. And then, and it'll continue years after we're gone. Leaders have the ability to let their followers know they're a part of something bigger. And all I want to say to you today is what is bigger than the kingdom of God? David knew this. David said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Solomon built all the buildings. David didn't really build that many buildings. But what David did 
was lead his people through worship into the presence of God. He let them know that there was something bigger than their nation and that there was someone bigger than the king who would look out for them. To be able to help your people see or your children see that that there's something and someone bigger than they are. Someone who was here before they got here and will be here long after they are gone. That's what we want to do for them. To help them see there's something bigger than themselves. Well, how's this all going to happen? I wish it were easy. Whether it's our co-workers or our children, I wish it were easy to lead them. But it's not. It's going to require two things. The first is it will require a, a commitment to them. It will require almost an irrational commitment. This is what Jesus said. I will lay down my life for these sheep. An irrational commitment almost to the followers is required. And sacrifice to back that commitment up. Because Jesus, in fact, did have to lay down his life for his sheep. Commitment and sacrifice. Without that, without that, you're just going for the fleece. You're not caring for the flock. I thought about uh, George Washington, our nation's uh, first leader. And I think in many ways, Washington was a great leader. But two things jump out to me. One is after he'd finished two terms in office, it's pretty clear that Washington could have declared himself emperor and probably would have gotten away with it. But he didn't. He didn't. For, For the sake of something bigger than who or what he was, he stepped down. But the other thing is much more impressive to me, and that is, have you ever seen in the Smithsonian George Washington's coat that he wore in the military? It's a fascinating thing. George Washington's coat, what distinguishes it? You probably know. It has bullet holes in it. This is not a guy who said, you go get him. I'm your leader, go get him. This was a guy whose commitment to the cause and whose sacrifice was such that he was out front and took some of the bullets or at least they whizzed by him i think about that image but you know what you don't have to go to washington dc if you want to see an example of sacrifice when you come up for this morning i want you just take a glance for communion this morning take a glance at this picture and notice how the water is being poured out of the pitcher for symbolically when david pours the water on the ground he is signifying to his troops that that it's your welfare that counts. I will pour my life out for you. And then Jesus would come along later and he would say something to this effect. This is my blood which is poured out for you. May we become leaders who will do likewise.